Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to just pray before we begin. Lord, thank you for leading us through this Beatitudes series to this point, God. And I'm just believing that as we learn, as, as you impart to us, Lord, what you intend to, that our hearts are being changed. And we thank you for that, Lord, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our topic today is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When I told my mom that I was speaking about this particular beatitude, she said, you must be speaking downstairs to the children. They're the only ones that are pure in heart. And I thought, wow, my mom raised my brother and I. It was just remarkable to me that after all uh, we put her through since a very early age that she would make the observation that, uh, that children are pure in heart. I won't go into detail this morning, but uh, I, I would imagine that we would have really challenged that view quite significantly over even the very early years of, of my childhood, and more will come out over time, but uh, anyways, that was an interesting observation. No, we're going to apply this verse to us as adults. We're going to consider um, the pure in heart, and we're going to consider seeing God. I want to talk a little bit, first of all, about what was going on in Galilee before Jesus sat down and preached this sermon. If you have your Bible, you could turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read a couple of verses, 23 to 25. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought him all who were ill with various diseases, all who were suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So there was this really this massive group from this wide radius, the, the, these multitudes of people at this time that were, that were coming from far and wide, coming to receive the ministry of Jesus. These were really the glory days of, of Jesus' ministry. He was, he was becoming widely known. Why? Because miracle after miracle were, was happening through his ministry. He was flowing in that anointing that, that, that only recently he had proclaimed he would be flowing in. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to Proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. And that's precisely what Jesus was doing in these days. He was setting people free, even people who were in severe pain, even people who were paralyzed, demon-possessed. And, and amazingly, from up north to Syria and, and over to the ten cities across the Jordan and, and down to Jerusalem. And, and this, this massive area, people were flocking to the region of Galilee to come and to receive this anointing that Jesus 
was pouring out. And so it was a very exciting time. And as this large crowd gathered, it was in the midst of this, this astonished group of people that Jesus sits down. In, in this sort of natural amphitheater, he was, he was up on the mountain, and, and at the bottom would be the Sea of Galilee, and all these people would, would gather there and so that they would be able to hear him. And essentially he was saying, don't be so surprised. The kingdom has come with me. The kingdom of God. And of course there's going to be freedom and of course there's going to be deliverance and, and, and salvation. The kingdom of God has come to you. I've come to establish this new order. And then he begins into the Beatitudes. So from this time forward, those of you who are poor in spirit, you're going to receive the kingdom of God. And, and those who mourn will receive comfort and, and the meek and the, those hungering and thirsting after righteousness. There's going to be a new order Jesus is proclaiming. One time uh, last year, I was reading the Beatitudes in my quiet time, and I was reading it like this. There's a blessing. I, rather than saying blessed, I was just reading it like this. There's a blessing now on the poor in spirit. There's a blessing on those who mourn. There's a, a blessing on those who are meek. And that same day I went to visit my, my very good friends who had been in a car accident. And I really believe, you know, sometimes car accidents are very suspicious. A, a lot of things that we go through, sometimes they're a little suspicious, the timing, and we think, yeah, I think there was someone else involved in this. I think there was a persecution involved. And these particular friends had been very involved in the kingdom of God in a very significant way. And I just felt like they were persecuted for righteousness' sake. And because I'd been reading the, the Beatitudes, when I went to their house, I, I proclaimed over them, there's a blessing on you. There's a blessing on you because you were persecuted for righteousness' sake. And I'm still believing them that they're going to receive a great blessing through this trauma that they, that they went through, that there's a blessing coming. And in believing that, all I'm doing is lining up with what Jesus is saying here. He's saying there's a blessing on those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And, and throughout these Beatitudes, he is proclaiming, and we can line up with him and proclaim ourselves, that there's a blessing upon us as we pursue these things. And so today, we're going to talk about specifically pure in heart, and that the pure in heart will see God. Daryl Johnson said that of all the qualities Jesus blesses, the one I most want to have is purity of heart. And of all the blessings that Jesus promises, to see God is the one I most desire. He talks a little bit in his book, Daryl Johnson, about the heart and purity of heart and what that might mean. The heart is really our center. When the Bible uses the word heart, he's talking about our very center. It's the home of what we think and what we feel and what we will. It's our core. And to be pure is to be unmixed, like pure maple syrup. There's nothing else in there, just the pure maple syrup. And so it's unmixed. And so if we're going to be pure in heart, it means that in our center, we're going to be unmixed. The pure heart is the single heart and the single heart in devotion to God. 
But our hearts can be so divided, can't they? Single-heartedness seems really quite a stretch, quite, quite a reach. As my friend Aaron says, there's, there's so many shiny objects all the time that, 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 can, that can draw our affections. And there's, there's so many distractions. My friend Jerry was, was talking to me over the last couple weeks, a, a couple times, and I asked her again about this, about how some of us and many are living vicariously. In other words, they're living other people's lives instead of their own lives through video games and, and, and Facebook and social media and, and, and movies and even, even the news that we, that we just become so engrossed in. We're, we're, it's all about kind of other. And so not really much time to give any attention to this singleness of heart that God is calling us to. And so we truly need God's intervention if we are actually going to be undivided in our center. Undivided in our center. So there's many ways that God can do this, that he can intervene, many ways that he can change our hearts. Today we're going to look at five. We're going to look at relationship with Jesus. We're going to look at the love of God. We're going to look at how suffering God uses for purity of heart. We're going to look at some spiritual practices. And finally, looking for Jesus and his return as a way that God brings purity into our lives. So first of all, relationship with Jesus. God changes our heart when we believe. The Holy Spirit comes and changes us. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 3.16 talks about, all through uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, it talks about this veil and how, how the minds are blinded of the unbeliever and, and how the heart is, is, is veiled. And, and it's, it's really a, kind of an impossible situation if you think about these blind minds and these, these veiled hearts. But many of you have... have come out of that, and so have I, come out of that, that blindness and that veil and that heart that cannot believe, and it's because God did it, and this is why we pray for those who don't believe, because we need God's intervention to remove those blinders, and so God changes our heart when we believe. The Bible says, anyone who turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It says also that God shines his light on our hearts so that we can grabs hold of the knowledge of God. Even Romans 10, 9, and 10 talks about how it's with the heart that we believe, with the heart. So our hearts are changed when we come into relationship with God. I heard a story this week, we heard a story at Ministerial this week about a, a drug dealer in Iran who, who was so involved, he, he was bribing the police and he was selling drugs and he was, he was, um, was living this life essentially of crime. And, and so, so he was so connected with the police that they asked him to spy on the Christians. So that, because uh, he believed that the Christians were coming in, in, in with these professions, but uh, the police believed that they were actually trying to convert people, which they were. And so he became friends with these Christians by telling them, well, yeah, my mom's a Christian, my dad's a Muslim, I'm open. So he ends up living in the house of this, of this Christian, and what he found in that house is that, for one thing, he couldn't get high. He, he, he would, he, it was just in this house, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so strong that even the drugs he was using were ineffectual. So 
he ended up in a very short time, even though he was trying to infiltrate the Christians, he ended up in a short time on his knees, accepting Christ, because his heart got changed by the Holy Spirit, and by relationship with Jesus. And so when we turn from our unbelief to believe in Jesus, our hearts are changed. As Derwin has said, the Beatitudes need to be taken as a whole. So we go back and we remember that we too are poor in spirit and we continue to be. And that we too need our hearts changed over and over again. Just like the unbeliever, we, we too need God to come in and the Holy Spirit to, to change our hearts. We might think we're doing pretty good and I think Derwin has said we can kind of go, well, at least I'm not, you know, fill in the blank, and then we can kind of feel like we're pretty good. But the Bible says those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. It all depends who you're comparing yourself against. We, we want to lean in and compare ourselves against Jesus. That, that's what gives us our true um, plumb line of, of, of righteousness. Um, we... we just to illustrate the point, we um, painted our bathroom last week. Well, by we, I mean Dave. You'll, you'll get to know this, especially if it involves anything physical. Um, and so, David, th there's, there's this color Chantilly lace right now that's really in, and it's quite white, and he painted down at Broadway, so he thought, well, he was trying this new product. So we decided to paint our bathroom kind of a, an off-white. And so I came in, I came home, he had finished it, and I looked, and I, I thought I had white trim. Our, our, our walls are all tan of our whole, our whole house, and as the bathroom was tan, and I thought I had white trim, but it turns out I don't have white trim, because when he painted those walls white, I've got almond trim, actually, like it's not white at all, but it all depends what it's up against, right? And so we, we can be up against, we can think we're pretty white when we're up against something tan or if we're comparing ourselves, but we have to realize that up against Jesus, we're all off-white and, and we all need our hearts changed. Just like Paul said, he said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. What I notice in this verse, and we're going to keep reading, is that as he, as he realizes and contemplates his own sinfulness, he starts thinking about how great God is for showing him mercy. But for this re very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Do you see how Paul got a glimpse of God? He got a glimpse of God as he considered his sinfulness, as he considered his great need of heart change, his great need of God. And so through relationship with Jesus, our hearts become pure. Point number two, the love of God. Henry Nouwen said, one of the enormous tasks we have is to claim our belovedness and begin to understand how much God loves us. This is really our enormous task, is to really get a hold of how much God loves us, to, to begin to grasp the love of God. I want to talk about John, the beloved disciple, and how his heart was changed. In his writing, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
And so I think he was one who got a grasp that Jesus loved him. He got a grasp that he was loved. He came in pretty rough, as you know. He and his brother James were fishermen when, when Jesus called him. And as right after he called them, he, he called him, um, Jesus called them the sons of thunder, the sons of thunder. Now, I, I don't know if this was, uh, you know, maybe it's looking at future because God's voice is sometimes referred to as thunder. So maybe they're going to be sons of the voice of God. But I think it was probably just, the, the, they were probably just very rough, very loud, very um, aggressive type people. And we see this a little bit. Uh, we see that um, at a certain point in Samaria, John and his brother James said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to consume these people that are, that are not with us? Another time we see the mother of John and James coming and asking Jesus, can my sons be at your right and your left? So, so yeah, so we see a little bit of the, char- the initial character of John. We get a glimpse of it in, in some of these things. But he did one thing right. And we see this over and over again in the life of John. He stayed close to Jesus. He stayed close to Jesus. We see it so many times and we see that because he stayed close to Jesus he saw Jesus he saw God he saw the glory he was there for the transfiguration when Jesus becomes glorified right before their eyes he was there at the last supper you'll recall and where was he right beside Jesus right beside Jesus and 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 when Jesus said that one would betray him he leaned on Jesus. He was there leaning. And it says in John 13, 23, we'll just read a couple of verses there. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. So leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, and then he, he, shows, he shows John the answer to his question. When we're close to Jesus, we can ask important questions and we can hear the answer. We're able to hear. Again at the cross, John was there. At the tomb, he was, he was there. He was the first one. He outran Peter to get to the tomb, to see that empty tomb with his own eyes. On the shore of Galilee after the resurrection, when Jesus shows up on the shore, he's the first to recognize it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And we see that after Jesus ascended into heaven, that John remains close. In fact, he mimics those glory days of the early ministry of Jesus. He walks in the same anointing. We see that he brings healing. He brings miracles. He shares the gospel. He talks about the love of God and the kingdom. And so John continues to stay close even after the ascension because he knew that he was loved. In his writing, John uses the word love 81 times. In his gospel, 39 times. In his, just his first letter, 27 times, love, 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 because he understood something about the love of God, and that's what changed his heart. And that's what changes us. 
Paul prayed that we would have the power to grasp how long and how high and how deep, sorry, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. That we would grasp how covered we are in the love of Christ. That we would grasp that. And when we grasp that, I think what can happen is that our love can increase. I've been praying lately, Lord, increase my love for you and for others. Paul also prayed that. He said, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may able to be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. My prayer that, that and Paul's prayer, that our love would abound more and more, and then you see what happens, so that you would have discernment, so that you would be pure and blameless, so that you'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness. These are the things that, that follow when we begin to understand God's love for us and when our hearts get gets filled with more love for him. Oh Lord, fill our hearts with your love so that we can see you. The third point that I want to talk about is suffering. My observation is that many of us are suffering right now in various forms. The Apostle Paul also suffered. When he was present with Jesus at the cross, he suffered with him. And in that moment, he was given the trust of Jesus. He said to him, behold your mother. He entrusted, Jesus entrusted his mother to John's care. When we remain close to Jesus, he entrusts us with important assignments, even in times of suffering. It was during John's suffering on the Isle of Patmos that he received this incredible vision of God, this vision of Jesus' return. And so in his suffering, he saw God, he saw Jesus in his glory, amazing. It's amazing, especially because it's so easy to lose sight of God in our suffering, isn't it? It can be such a confusing time. We doubt, we fear, we get very sometimes confused in suffering. We can forget that there's going to be new life following our suffering. We can forget that when we experience death in any form, when we have a death experience through suffering, through loss, through losing someone, we forget that Jesus has overcome death and that new life is on the way. Peter wrote, in this you greatly rejoice. Sorry, 1 Peter 1, 6-9, in case you want to turn. He wrote, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, 
though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so in our suffering, there is something that we can know, and that is that God is preparing us and sometimes carving out a place in us for God to dwell. We can spend a lot of our time trying to avoid pain and suffering, trying to escape from pain. It's only natural. But at Leader's Edge last weekend, we heard Jossie Chaco say to us that comfort and safety can be our enemies. Comfort and safety can be our enemies. And he said, if we're going to be effective Christians, we need to increase our pain tolerance. Make pain your friend. Now, none of us want to suffer pain, but the Bible does tell us that as Christians, we will suffer. But when we consider this pure in heart verse, and if we consider the purifying that happens when we suffer, we can know that when we suffer, we will see God. We will see God. Because Jesus is stronger than death, and he is stronger than our pain. And the Bible tells us that he came to set us free from that fear that we have of death and that fear that we have of loss. It says in Hebrews 2.15 that Jesus came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear of death. And so we can be enslaved by that fear and we can become paralyzed by that fear. But Jesus came to set us free and to change our hearts so that we can see God like John did when we suffer. So that we can see God when we suffer. When we suffer, the life of Christ is made known actually in our physical bodies. Paul said, we always carry around the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always given over to death. And this is after he listed all of his brutal experiences. So that the life may also be revealed in our mortal, mortal body. So the life of Jesus becomes evident. And what God does in us at that time remains permanent. Recently, about two years ago, we went through a very, very painful time in our family, very painful. And I can remember um, going for a walk at this time and talking to God. And you know how when we're suffering, we just get so reduced? We just, we just find that we're so reduced. And I was feeling so reduced at this time. And my question, I had a question for God on this walk. And my question was, God, are you mad at me? I felt like a child asking that, but it was like, God, are you mad at me? Because I was so confused by, by, by the pain and the suffering that we were going through. And the Lord answered me in, in such an intimate way, and I would tell you the word for word, but I couldn't find my journal. But what I, 
What I know is he answered me in such a beautiful way that I said back to him, and I remember this very clearly, I'm not mad at you either. And it was such a relief to realize that I wasn't mad at him and that he wasn't mad at me. That change, that, that revelation that I got about God, that I, that, that, that I realized how strong our friendship was, that's a permanent change. That's an eternal change. That, that moment, that intimate moment, allowed me to stay close to God and then to see God during that season of suffering. When we suffer, it's so easy to get confused. We need to find a way to stay close. And it can be even just reaching out to a friend and saying, can you pray with me? Can you believe for me? Because I'm finding it hard to believe myself. We can get to the place where we're even just doubting that closeness of relationship. For me, I found a song. And it was a song that I would listen to through my tears. And it's, it's the new version of It As Well. And it was just this phrase, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you, Lord. And, and that song kept me close to God. I, I, would, I would listen to it over and over again, and somehow just having that song kept me close to God in my suffering and helped me to have an eternal view on what I was going through, helped me to look at what was unseen rather than what was seen. You know the verse that says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not in what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so Lord, help us to find a way to see what is unseen so that we can see God in our suffering and especially so that we can stay close. Point number four is spiritual practices. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I know as a, as a church we are familiar, we've studied many of the, of the spiritual practices and disciplines that are available to us. I want to just talk about a, a couple of thoughts I have regarding spiritual practices. The first one I want to talk about is repentance. It's so important, and we talked a little bit early about those comparison paints, you know. It, 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 sometimes we can, you know, we hear the word repentance, and it just sounds, you know, like, like just such a big deal. I believe repentance should be part of our spiritual practice just regularly. When, when God holds up for us like a heart attitude that he wants to set us free from. When I was just a brand new Christian, um, I was sitting with my friend Chris who was discipling me, and, and I had a pack of cigarettes sitting on the coffee table, and he just said to me, and you know, wh why, don't you let, why don't you let Jesus deliver you smoking right now? And I thought, well, I should at least finish the pack first. <laughs> and then I thought, well, maybe I'll just have like one more smoke first before uh, we do this prayer or whatever, right? And, uh, but somehow I, I had enough courage to say, sure, let's do it. And, um, and so, you know, we prayed and I never had another cigarette since that time. 
Yeah, praise God. And uh, I, I said to my friend Chris, I'm like, wow, like, God must not have to deal with anything with you. Like, he didn't smoke. Like, I'm like, you must be, like, done now. Like, you don't have to, God doesn't have to deal with anything for you. And he said, oh, no. God starts to deal with heart attitudes. And they go on forever. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, the smoking seemed actually, like, pretty easy compared to, compared to that. I just, I just had this kind of foreboding about what, what that might, might mean. And, and, and it's true, we need to continually just repent and lay down before God uh, the heart attitudes that he's dealing with. The Bible says we turn from idols towards the living God. And so just over and over again, we need to, we need to turn. An example is our, our tendency to want to control everything. I find this is, this is an area that God often is putting his hand in and saying, yeah, just lay down the control. And instead, take up a heart attitude of surrender. You know, and, and the control can manifest itself in so many different ways in our lives and in our workplaces and in our families. And just, yeah, just, just let me set you free of that control. It's not quite as easy as to see as just that box of cigarettes sitting on the coffee table, but it's the same thing. God says, yeah, let, let, let me set you free of that heart attitude and we'll give you something much better in its place. Bill Johnson said that, when you see him, you will be like him. And as you see him, you will be more like him. Everything gets recalibrated. And so we, we constantly need this recalibration. And it happens very often just through the simple act of repentance before God. We can also choose to practice disciplines, for example, like fasting. 1 Timothy 4.7 says, exercise yourself toward godliness. And so when we choose to fast, we are giving God an opportunity to purify our hearts in whatever way he wants to, or when we choose silence or, or solitude or prayer or study. Remember that Lent begins this week on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Lent is a great moment in time for us to say, okay, for the next six weeks, I'm laying something down, and I'm going to pick something else up. It's, it's a great opportunity. Maybe you might want to, for example, give up eating bread, and instead, pick up the Word of God. Maybe you, maybe you want to give up your, your, your social media time after dinner, your TV time, or, or your, your computer time, and instead, pick up prayer time with yourself or with, with the family. Pick up something new. It's important, I think, when we lay something down, we also want to pick up something new that God wants to put into our hands. And so it creates a balance for us so that we have something new to focus on instead of the thing that we've laid down because this becomes a lot more difficult. But focus on what, what new thing God's going to give you to, to pick up. If you want to um, engage in Ash Wednesday, we do have because we're, we're doing Ash Wednesday this, this year in our small groups, so if you do want to be part of Ash Wednesday yourself, we're going to have some, some papers at the back that you can take just to do your own, your own little ceremony. But it's time to think about now, within the next few days, of what you might want to give up for Lent so that you can prepare your heart to really enter into the celebration of the resurrection of Christ on Easter. So it's a great opportunity to engage in another um, spiritual discipline and a, and a spiritual practice. just want to mention service as, as one more spiritual discipline that we can become involved in. 
our church is involved in service, and, and I'm just noticing even over these last number of weeks how involved we are in, in serving others. Um, for example, Wally's home group, Wally's in the hospital, but I notice, I've, I've spoken to a number of people in Wally's home group, and they're all going out and, 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 and caring for Heather and, 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 and caring for Wally, and this is a wonderful and a very important reason why we want to be in small groups, is because it creates a smaller community where we can receive and where we can give. Another way that our church gave this last week is yesterday, many of us, not me, but meaning Dave and others, were at um, the refugee house uh, painting, the second one. And, and so we were, we were giving and we were, we were serving in that way. Serving is also a way that God changes our hearts. God changed my heart this week when Suzanne McKenzie and I went to visit this other refugee family that we're helping by just going and, and well, whose heart wouldn't be changed by holding a, a four-day-old newborn baby? But uh, as well, just seeing this family and, and their gratitude for the, uh, the help that our church has been able to, to give them. My heart, my heart was changed, and, and so was Suzanne's. And so when we get involved in service, that is also a, a spiritual discipline that changes our heart. And there's so many ways that we can do that. I mean, share is just a phone call away, and we can be volunteering in the, in the share food bank. So there's, there, there's so many ways that we can reach out and, and serve and care for others and have our hearts become changed. The last area that I want to talk about is looking for Jesus. We're considering quite a bit John the Beloved, the disciple John. Here's some words that he wrote in, in his letter, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. He said, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope purify themselves just as he is pure. Do you see how that works? We're going to be like him when we see him, because we see him as he is. And when we have that hope, we purify ourselves. Even just the hope, never mind seeing God, even the hope of seeing God, even just the hope of seeing Jesus causes us to purify ourselves. Hope can change our hearts. It can turn defeat and despair into courage and resilience. We are going to see God. We are going to see God in the personal return of Jesus Christ. The king whose realm we are advancing will one day join us. And his throne will be established here on earth. This is our hope. And in that day, we will see his glory just like John did. This is a hope that purifies our hearts this is a hope that will never disappoint us. This is a hope that is to be shared with our friends. We are looking for Jesus, and this purifies our hearts. I'd like to ask the worship team to come forward. So I want to encourage you this morning. You know, predominantly what I want to say is stay close. 
Find a way to stay close to God in any of these areas, whether, whether it's a time of suffering for you, whether you're pressing into relationship with God or, or the love of Christ, or whether you're going to choose a discipline over Lent to experience. But in any of these things and in all of these things, stay close to Jesus and you will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God.